Summer is here. It's great to be alive, and it's so good to have you join us on this episode of The Domestiques. Hello again. I'm Mike Tomolaris, and welcome to a very special episode as we have a very special guest join us, and that guest will join us momentarily. But first of all, let's wheel in our fellow Domestiques. Uh, first up, Lee Hollywood-Turner has returned from the beautiful town of Bright. And uh, Hollywood, hello to you. I'm told you absolutely smashed it over there, correct? I smashed, I smashed nothing. Smashed biscuits and chocolate. No, no, uh, good to be back. We'll talk about Bright later. I'll give you an in-depth review of it. But what I want to know, Mike, is our, uh, my fellow co-host, what has happened to her? I've seen her on Instagram doing tutorials on baking sourdough bread. How is the tough Matilda Reynolds turned into doing uh, YouTube, YouTubes or whatever it is on making sourdough bread? Tills, you are a domesticated softie now. <laughs> I know. My boyfriend wanted to get me in the kitchen more, so he purchased me a sourdough <laughs> workshop. And honestly, wow. the actual sourdough may only cost $2 to make, but if you value any of your time, it's costing me about three grand. But uh, <laughs> sa- making sourdough is honestly like it's now a part of me. So I'm now a cyclist and a sourdough maker. It's, it's how oh, I imagine wow. vegans feel. They introduce themselves and then they tell you that they're vegan. I now will introduce myself and tell you that I can make sourdough. But no, it is a, it is a good challenge. That, but the, aside from that, training's going well. And before we introduce our guest, one thing I love Hollywood, which I think you can attest to is during the summer, one of the best things, because I'm still a massive frother, is when the pros come home. You know, you turn up to your local bunch ride and there's a couple of pros there in their pro kit. It just gives the the ride a little bit more of an edge. Everyone wants to show themselves. All the boys start, you know, throwing their peacock feathers around. And so, yeah, we, (laughs) we had that yesterday. We had, uh, yeah, obviously I'm here in New Zealand. We had Black Spoke, we had FDJ, and we had AG2R. And, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a very excited, excited bunch. So just one oh, of the excellent. perks. But uh, I'm sure if our guest turned up, he'd have in, the, in his old kit, he'd have the same effect. Well, we'll ask you very, very soon. Here's what's coming up on this edition of The Domestics. Our very special guest is uh, the driving force behind the cycling advocacy group, uh, We Ride which has just released the biggest study ever undertaken in Australia. And it's all about the economic boom that the cycling uh, industry has provided in our society. I will also also ask you or talk about uh, where to now for live cycling, given the demise, apparently, of uh, GS or GCN. I was was supposed to talk about that last episode, but it was remiss of me. I forgot. Uh, I also want to mention the fact that the Gold Coast will not uh, host the 2026 Commonwealth Games. So the question is, where to now for our cycling pool of talent over the next couple of years? Another reminder, the Domestiques will be live and on location at the Tour Down Under in January. Hey, how good is the news that uh, the swashbuckling superstar not you, Hollywood, although you'll be there, but Julian Alaphilippe will be there. How good is that? 
No, oh, I'm not a fan. He's a me. flog. Really? Oh, he's I've a flog. Never liked him. Never liked him. How dare you? Yeah, I've never oh. liked him. Oh. Do you hate the He's entertaining. Oh my God. No, no, not many no, people. Hate. Not many people like you, Hollywood. But yeah, oh. heaps of people hate me. Loved by, loved by, hated by some, loved by many more. But look, I know he's good, and I've just asked my friends. I've never been a fan. Thought he's a flog. Don't like his uh, little goatee, and he's just a bit, a bit of a. On the contrary, I love you. Uh, Lele, so uh, we're excited to have you down uh, under. Yeah, and we are recording episodes at the, uh, at the Tour Village and we've been given special access in a location very close to where the teams are setting up. So Hollywood, I will personally introduce you to Julian Alaphilippe and you can directly tell him how you feel about him. No, no, no. <laughs> I like the French riders. I used to love Pino. You know I love Pino. Passionate, emotional, but nah, maybe because he was on Specialised and I don't know, maybe he wore black bibs when he was world champ. Maybe it's sad, I don't know. Yeah, well, <laughs> our sponsor is in Adelaide or it's Minette and uh, we'll be going on bunch rides with them and you have to come. Oh, are we? Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are, we are. Oh, hey, cool. listen, if you haven't been to the Tour Down Under and I'm not here to endorse it, but I've been going there since 1999, it's not all about the hardcore cyclists. It's not all about no, Hollywood or Tills. It's about uh, oh, loading the car hardcore. up. It's about putting the kids in the back. It's about taking the dog. It's for everybody, the tour down under. Okay, Definitely. let's introduce our very special guest now. This person has had an interesting life, a life that's been dominated and influenced by the bicycle. Early on as a professional who once dominated the roads of Europe in all the Grand Tours, and spring classics. He was no slouch on the bike, let me tell you. However, since hanging up the Lycra in the mid-1990s, our special guest has played a role as an advocate for the good of cycling as a sport, a recreation, a mode of transport, influencing our politicians. I mean, cycling has so many layers, and this man is across it all. He is the man to have on our side. Ladies and gentlemen, a big domestics welcome to Stephen Hodge. Hodgie! Tomo. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Hey, pleasure. How do you feel? I, uh, I get to meet Hollywood and I'm just thinking about how he's going to look when he rocks up to dual world champion <laughs> Allah and says, uh, Bonjour, uh, I think you're Benjour. fantastic. Bonjour, I'll say. I was I was imagining that while you were saying what you were saying, and I was going, "Oh, Lee, please!" Hey, let's get down to Tic Tacs, uh, Stephen. It's been a life uh, filled with cycling and the bicycle for you. First of all, how do you reflect on your career and life around the two wheel machine? I mean, well, firstly, what a privilege. I mean, you know what I sort of bumbled my way into. You know, as an amateur starting in Canberra and, and ended up, you know, like at each stage I sort of, you know, I rode the Commonwealth Bank Classic, which was the start for many a young rider. Um, met a Swiss team there and then thought, oh, you know, I'd always always heard from Gary Sutton that, that Switzerland, Swiss racing was really good. And I thought, oh, I'd love to go there and, and, and give that a crack. So I did. I went over as a total wally, you know, total amateur. Um got better you know had some hard years lonely years but ended up winning the national point score i guess it's like our nrs twice um and got a pro contract and i thought oh you know oh this is great you know but i never thought i'd ride the tour so anyway i started out you know bumbled along no coaching or anything in those days you know no ais nothing you know just nothing 
and um, and then gradually, you know, I got I got good. I probably lost a bit of weight that I needed to lose, and then um, you know, in my third year, uh, I got to ride the tour, you know, and that was the hugest thing I'd ever experienced in my life, you know, to the point that. Um, you know, after 22 days, and in those days we didn't have the two rest days. In those days we had stages over 250 k's. Some days, you know, three weeks of total focus. You know, and I was bawling my eyes out. I got onto the Champs Elysees and we're doing the laps, and there was such a release of sort of emotion that I was bawling my eyes out. You know, just from the finally to get there in my very first tour. You know, so at each stage it was just huge and um and it was still you know before all the dramas of of doping and so we were fated wherever we went and um it was just such an amazing experience well let me just remind our listeners haji uh, your pro career ran from 87 to 1996 you made your debut in 89 that very famous uh finish on the champs Elysees, which was separated the eight by just second eight seconds finish. Uh, you completed in 14 Grand Tours, six of those at the Tour de France, and you won some races. Uh, you won the uh, Clásica a los Puertos. Is that in Spain? Vuelta a los Puertos down south in Sierra. Up, uh, we finished up Sierra Nevada. You came um, fifth in the overall at the Tour of Romandie, third at the Giro. And I won. And I won a sprint stage in front of Chippo with a mountain jersey oh, on my shoulders. <laughs> really? But what you, what you didn't see in the picture was that it was right near where I used to live. And I knew the finish so well, I attacked with a K to go. And they were just nearly over swamping me on the line. But, I, you know, I won this stage in front of people like Chippo with a mountain oh, wow. jersey on. It was awesome. Oh, how good was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and uh, second in the Herald in the Herald Sun Tour. Oh, um, my God. That so was great. always the, the most stressful experience of your life, coming home to race in Australia because everyone <laughs> wanted to beat you. <laughs> and I, I screwed up a little bit, I have yeah. to say. Anyway. But you competed and participated and represented Onsay, which is Hollywood's oh, yes. favourite team. So uh, yes, tell me, yes. Mr. Hollywood Turner... Is that why you wear yellow? Like so yeah, it, much yellow? It is. I loved Onsa. I grew up just, I was came to Onsa after, just after you'd finished back when Giant first came to the oh, team yeah. back in the late 90s with Jalabar and uh, Jalabar. Jalabar. You know, I can't, I can't pronounce anything. Well, you've got to make an effort, e- Sunshine. Extabiera, whatever his name was, David Extabiera. <laughs> so I loved Onsa. Loved Onsa. And you know, you know what the great thing about that was that, um, we were riding, like we would go and visit the schools. So ONSA's Organización Nacional de Ciegos Españoles. So it's the National Blind Association. Yes, that's right. So we used to go and visit the schools uh, after some of the races and all of the, the, the blind kids would know who we were and they'd want to come, us, come and they'd see us and they'd feel your face and they knew who we all were. So we were like their representatives in the seeing world. Wow. So there was this marvellous sort of extra motivation. Imagine if you're going up a, a, a climb in the Pyrenees and you're at the end of your, your, your strength. Well, everyone that you're representing is going to be doing it a lot tougher for their whole lives than you are. So you've got no option to, to pike out. You know, yes. you, you have to keep going because you're much better off in the world than they are, the people that that are paying your bill. But what I'm, it was just this marvellous motivating factor, you know, that drove drove the, the, 
the sort of the team spirit, you know. Mm. Oh, gee, they just uh, look so cool with the yellow. They look like bumblebees in the tour. We're like particularly when they did the team time trial, just oh, they just look. We so were good, good at those. We were good at those. Hodgie, I've known you a very long time, but I've never really asked you uh, this next question. You did represent the Festina team and you did race in an era, well, it was really uh, a dark era in the history of professional cycling. Tell me, um, what was the, uh, the doping scene like back then? So it was getting worse and worse. I mean, um, it was getting to the point where it was was ridiculous and, and something had to happen. I mean, I don't think any, certainly now as a parent, I think it's it's terrible that, that um, parents might think that their kids have to take drugs to succeed at sports. So it was crazy. Um, the riders sort of went along with it because you didn't have an option if you wanted to be selected for the tour. You know, you you know, and even if even if it was just to maintain your place, you know. So there were it was rampant. It was pretty well everyone it was very widespread, and it wasn't good. You know, I mean, everyone knew it was highly illegal and potentially uh, damaging. So thank goodness. Um, it's got cleaned up, you know, like, I mean, I don't think anyone is sorry, you know, mm. and unfortunately, you know, Paul Festina, um, you know, copped it. I had been out for two years by that time. So, you know, I mean, they were, they were treated like criminals in, you know, and, um, Unfairly? Was just a, well, no, I mean, everyone knew how legal it was, mm. you know, there were no excuses. Like, you know, you didn't, you can't really, you know, you can't really say you didn't, know what you're doing um well how much pressure so, was there on you to follow suit um i was never uh, obliged to do anything um but uh, and i also uh, i was lucky i had a, a background um you know with a, a, a father who was a doctor so i knew how far to push the risks of you know high hematocrit and all this sort of stuff with epo mm. so but can you imagine, um, the real issue is I was cycling with um, people in my team who'd grown up in farmhouses with dirt floors yeah. where the animals were down that end and the, and the family used to live mm. up this, this end. So there were cyclists who would have been farm labourers or, or, you know, really, um, you know, manual um, workers. Who, and the only way without education up in the world to make fame and fortune uh, was a professional sport. And in the early days, there was cycling, football, soccer, uh, and boxing. They were the only three ways. So, of course, there is a lot less sort of uh, stopping people when they could earn a fortune from taking um, drugs, right? So sociologically or socially it's it's a really interesting phenomenon um you know people without the education that i had because i i did a science degree before i went off cycling in europe so i was a very late starter right so i i i could understand and and kind of keep it keep it sensible you know but yeah i mean you know socially that's why i think the drug scene was so rampant because you know what an easy way to, to make, you know, to win some races and become a star and, and make a lot of money. 
If I was sleeping on the farm floor like that, I would be lit well, to the eye. I'm not saying they were sleeping everything. on the floor. Oh, but you know what I mean. Coming from a tough <laughs> upbringing, I would be lit to the eyeballs, taking everything possible to to chase that fame and status and and wealth. How do you see today? Do you pretty comfortable with today's riders? You think it's generally a clean sport today? Oh, I, the, the, I, I'm sure it bears no resemblance to to yeah. back in my day, I think right? So. so um, I, I'm, I'm confident. I'm really totally out of the scene now. I really mm. don't have much contact at all with the sport anymore. Um, I watch it like any other fan boy, you know, like I'm just like everyone else who watches the tour. Mm-hmm. So I, I really don't know. But, I mean, it seems much, much better. <laughs> In my day, you had, you know, you had riders going off on day-long raids over the Alps on their own, you know, in a small group and then on their own, winning stages, like little tiny climber types, you know. Now, you see the climbers attacking, they go, they just get to there, right? And they don't get any further. So yeah. what you see in the way that people are riding is qu- is quite different now, you know. So the actual racing has changed and i think that's a good indicator as well well let's talk about this report now uh stephen which uh, you've been uh, the driving force behind tell us about it it's called the we ride australian cycling and e-scooter economy report what can you tell us so um so for longer now than when then my racing career i've actually been uh fulfilling a federal advocacy role to make Australia a better place to ride a bike. Um, We know that the sport is just a tiny part of the participation of Australians in cycling. There are 6.5 million Australian adults cycled in 2022, and that's what the report does. So what we needed to do with this report with EY was... Um, fill in some gaps in knowledge about the benefits to the Australian economy and the Australian people when uh, from cycling when more people ride a bike okay so it's, it's a huge undertaking we had four state governments we had um, RACV and the Amy Gillett Foundation through their safe cycling program as, found, as, as major major supporters of it plus Australian organizations like Oz Cycling um, and beam scooters. And we did a massive, the biggest survey ever of the Australian population. Um, and we found that the economic contribution of cycling to the Australian economy with scooters is $18.6 billion. We showed that cycling is as big an industry as the thoroughbred racing industry. It's about half the size of the live music industry if we hadn't done this no no decision maker in federal parliament where i live in canberra up on the hill would would know that cycling hey it's actually quite a big thing and it's quite important not because we all love watching the tour but because it gets australians more physically active it reduces congestion um, from traffic it's going to lower our carbon emissions from the transport system. We found out that half a billion tonnes of CO2 has been avoided just from the current low rate of cycling that goes on in Australia. And that's equivalent to taking 207,000 cars off the road. That's a decade of EV sales based on last year's figures. A decade, right? So everyone's going on and on and on about EVs. Drives me crazy. 
cycling and mode shift to cycling for short trips has a much bigger potential to reduce a transport carbon emissions than do EVs. Crazy stats, right? We're doing a good thing, everyone. Uh, you sure are. But tell me this, it's one thing to say that uh, it's bigger than the thoroughbred industry and other industries, but how much respect is your report? How much respect is uh, our cycling advocacy groups like yours receiving from the authorities and from the general public? So um, the assistant treasurer launched the report. So that's the second highest, um, you know, uh, minister in the government uh, for, for, for financial matters. Launched the report and the shadow treasurer assisted him. Um, we held the launch in Parliament House, uh, along with the announcement of our Cycling Luminaries Award winners. Um, we still have a way to go. Uh, convincing Jim Chalmers, the treasurer, uh, that uh, and the, especially the min and Minister Catherine King, um, who's the Minister for Transport and Infrastructure, and Chris Bowen, the Minister for Climate Change, that um, cycling is uh, is a way forward to help them achieve what they need to achieve. So, but this is it's an extremely complex and difficult job to to cut through. Part of it is related to what you've you've just talked about and that is how cyclists are seen because so people only see um you know that yellow target of lee turner in front of them and they want to go him right mm. when they're driving Running a over. ram or whatever um which is you know so there's a real uh, problem with culture uh, in Australia. So we're also, this isn't, we don't just do one report and think that's going to do the job. There are all sorts of things. You know, we're looking at how we can, um, you know, uh, change the cultural approach. Um, we did some research with Vic Health and other organisations about messaging, about how we should be talking about cycling. Mm. Um, you know, we do awards so we can tell the stories about the wonderful people in communities around Australia, including Indigenous communities, where they're using cycling as a as a school engagement and a um, you know and the crime prevention uh, initiative. You know, cycling does all sorts of wonderful things in mm. all sorts of little and big out of the way places mm. around Australia. So it's a it's a huge scene, and the bike organisations around Australia. Bicycle Network, New South Wales, South Australia, West Cycle, they're all doing their bit in their states, you know. Amy Gillett Foundation's doing their bit, um, training up engineers around Australia, um, you know, and producing things like the Bike Spot app, which everyone needs to quickly go onto bikespot.org to drop pins where the bad places are when you're riding a bike, right? Where the black spots are, right? So everyone, there are lots of people doing their bit. Stephen, just a couple of stats that both came out of your study and also um, I used to work quite closely in the e-bike market, particularly for Specialised and, and their turbo range. So um, one of the things that I know a lot of bike companies are trying to do now is trying to, instead of getting a second car, to get an e-bike. Um, and one of the reasons behind that is that well over 75%, somewhere up to 90%, um, in some states, all um, travel, like all majority of um, vehicles travel less than five kilometres, um, which is just insane, which is, it's, it's, if you think about that, I'm just going to pop down to the shops, I'm just going to grab the kids, you know, it's, it's five kilometres that is just doing these short trips in cars. But 
two things that stood out from the study for me. One was the three um, that 6.5 million adults were cycling, which which you mentioned, which is 33%. That actually felt quite high um, for me in Australia. I thought that was really good. Um, but also that 300 million um, is avoided in or net avoided in financial health system and, and costs. And I always struggle with that so much because it always feels like we're trying to fix something rather than prevent. Um, so, you know, we know that, say, if you we were, we're able to drop the obesity rates in Australia by 5%, we can save hundreds and hundreds of millions uh, in health costs. Um, I'm just wondering from your end, like, how you work with the government with that to, you know, like they seem more interested in not saving costs but wanting to spend on the problem. Um, preventative health has always been um, a problem. Um, Treasury tends to see money spent on prevention as a black hole, that there's no way to analyse um, how effective it is and so on. But but you're right. I mean, there are two things, three things that you've said that, that are really important to point out. The first is that of all trips for all purposes in Australia, and you've said rightly, um, a half of all the trips we do every day are 5Ks or less. A third or more, and in Greater Melbourne it's about 40%, are just 3Ks or less. So these are distances that can easily be cycled. Um, you know, and e-bikes are the first technology, this is the gateway technology for the future, right? So e-bikes are the first time that someone who is not a cyclist or not currently cycling for transport says, ah, I could do that, right? That's what we want. We don't care about the Stephen Hodges and Lee Turners of the world. We're already cycling, right? We, I, in the job of We Ride Australia, we don't even think about us, right? Because we're irrelevant to the story. The story is how do we get people to do some of their local trips? One of the really interesting things, Matilda, and you'd know about this, is that um, you know, there's some fantastic subscription models for family e-assist cargo bikes, right? Mm. Lug and Carry have yes. found that the majority of the subscribers to these wonderful bikes where you can plonk your kids on the back and they love it going to school or the shops on the back of the cargo bike with mum, um, uh, the majority of the uptake is by women, right? So... We have a, uh, when Lee goes out in his bunch, um, it is the vast majority are, are blokes, right? So this is not good. What we know in countries where ha that have really high rates of cycling, like the Netherlands, and we've taken study tours to show decision makers the Netherlands, mm. the majority of people riding bikes for all of those short trips are women, right? So. Tilly, you're like the indicator species. If we can get more women riding, then necessarily it will be because we've made the conditions better for riding. Separated bike paths, lower speeds in, in, in roads and streets where they don't have, um, uh, you know, separated bike paths. But that's paths what you so said, on, right? Stephen, is with the, in your study, it said that 64% of respondents who do cycle um, either stopped or no longer cycle or don't cycle as much because they are yeah. fearful about the roads. And um, yeah, additionally, definitely. 
just and I think that's the boom we saw during COVID. We saw an enormous increase in females taking up cycling. But as soon as the vehicles came back, that um, that really dropped away, and the whole industry hasn't been able to hang on to the growth that they experienced um, during Correct. that time as well. So I think yeah. that's why we're seeing a bit of growth in gravel because of the safety. Um, but even I was just thinking, I don't know. It feels like that some of the aggression on the road is also increasing. Um, we've had, um, you know, the highest death toll on Victorian roads, um, I think, ever uh, in, in, in this current year. And it also feels like um, that when the economy is struggling, when people are struggling, inflation, et cetera, et cetera, there seems to be more aggression on the roads. I'm feeling it a little bit more at the moment on the roads. Uh, I'm not sure... Yeah, how you're feeling on the roads at the moment, Hollywood, or if you've seen oh, that slight yeah, increase Every day at the moment. An Every day. Yeah, and I just, that's such a big barrier, Stephen, and I don't know how we overcome that at the moment. So, um, yeah, and, and that's, to go back to what I said very early on, I mean, there's a real cultural issue which um, we're all trying to, to deal with. Everyone who works in, in cycling advocacy, we're all, we're all kind of, so there are some ways to do it. What we've seen is that um, there are some great uh, initiatives overseas that, that we would like to um, do here in Australia that address that image problem, all right? Um, unfortunately, that requires substantial funding. Uh, we've, got the, we've got the know-how and we've got the, if in a sense, the, the, um, the book of how to do it. Um, we know everyone overseas who's done great work in this area. Um, we have to start relating the fact that people are cycling who are normal people. We have to stop showing uh, images of people, excuse me, Lee, um, in Lycra. We have right. to start showing mums with kids riding. We have yes. to start showing families riding uh, in normal clothes and um, we have a real issue because the media obviously that doesn't create clicks right doesn't get earn them viewers mm. so why would they do that well we have to make it um, inevitable that 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 people images of people doing normal things every day except just on bikes not in a in, a, in an SUV where they can't see the child in front of them for 20 feet you know 10 meters right? They're so dangerous around little people. You know, we have to do that. And But the way forward, the, the Trojan horse is, is a focus on kids um, and a focus because no shock jock can go you um, by you saying um, our kids should be able to walk and ride to school because 70% of them are now driven. And when we were kids, well, sorry, when I was a kid, you're all yeah, a bit me younger too, than me. me um, 70% of us walked and rode to school, mm. right? So so that's a focus and, and that you see that uh, a lot of the work that we're all doing around Australia, we're, we're trying to make it easier for kids to, to ride ride their bikes to school. Hachi, can I just tell you, uh, the e-scooter re revolution has really kicked off and it's a bugbear of mine. There's nothing worse than being in a bunch, feeling good about yourself. You're traveling 40 kilometers per hour, and then you see an, a rider on a scooter <laughs> passing you without a helmet, 50, 60 kilometers per hour. Why is there no limit on these e-scooters like there is on e-bikes? 
Well, there is in New South Wales. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. Well, I see it all the time. Uh, I know, Hollywood. yeah, but it's probably not governed. Like, who cares if they don't wear a helmet? They're illegal. Right. It's, it's not that. It's the speed. It's the speed. They, I see it all the time. It's. Uh, but did you guys know that, um, Mike, with that, that it's actually – so e-bike limits are actually 40K an hour here in New Zealand. Is that right? It's amazing. Wow. And the same in the USA. So it's not like a – a population um, issue. Um, so yeah, it, it actually makes it so much in, more enjoyable um, mm, to get absolutely. to work and to commute and to hold speed with the traffic. Mm. Now we can't use that as an excuse in Australia. However, it is only twenty five k an hour, yeah. which you get to extremely quickly, and it is actually quite difficult because Europe is actually twenty five to twenty six k an hour as well. So, and we know how successful it is over there, but we. Well, I pushed very hard when I was in that advocacy space to try to look at if we could increase those limits, but there's just no way the, um, you know, what we're, yeah, I'm interested, Hodgie, if there's been, as Mike's talking about with speed limits, where are we at with that? So um, it took a decade to get the European Pedelec standard adopted, um, uh, which is the 25 kilometre an hour power assisted limit. took a decade. Currently, um, you know, my executive officer, Peter Burke, is looking at, um, with the industry, at seeing if that can be increased to 32, um, but it will be a long process. Um, So, you know, uh, and and Tomo, there'll always be disruptive technologies, and I think it's a really interesting time, um, which is why we tried to get a handle on the scooter economy it's it's a really interesting time and i i i yes it's disruptive and yes they cause problems for people who might be you know have a a, a visual disability on footpaths when they're dumped and so on um i think it's just a period of normal um sort of arrival in a road space of another device and and it's disruptive um so i'm you know i'm, I'm not too too f- I, yeah. I shouldn't say I'm not too fast, but I mean, those things going that speed, they're illegal. And But every state has a different legislation around e-scooters, so it's almost impossible to, you know, to, to, to police. The police can't do it, you know, um, and we shouldn't expect them to really because it's impossible, you know. So it's a disruptive technology. Um, most of the trips that have been done by scooters are replacing... Um, public transport or walking um, so it's not really fulfilling the sort of the need to reduce car trips um, but you anyway I mean them. these are all the uh, the, the oh, construction yeah. workers God in when I see uh, <laughs> when I go see our friends at Black Sheep Cycling um, you know and used to have probably the worst um, road rage I'd get is from these tradies and then suddenly the yeah. bike paths are full of these tradies in high vis on their scooters which has somehow become cool and but I, I, th- I think it's good I use yeah. I use a line bike if I've got to do something where I've got to drop off something or pick something up or when I drop my do my car for a service I ride I take my e-skateboard in the car and skateboard back it's only 10ks and I I think they're good for mobility definitely mm. I think I like them mm, a 50 year old skateboard rider yeah, I've got a skateboard. I've got an Evolve skateboard that does 42Ks an hour and 30Ks between each charge. It's great. He broke oh, geez, both his the wrists, but that was... Uh, oldest uh, teenager. 
<laughs> yeah. I'm 40, Mike. I'm 42. <laughs> but <you're> not. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> this is The Domestics, presented by Black Sheep All right, let's talk about GCN. Now, feel free to join us on this idea. Australians, so we were all rocked at the news of uh, GCN abandoning its renowned coverage of live world tour cycling. And those of us who uh, relied on the streaming service, when we really went into meltdown, didn't we? Uh, at the realisation that we'd be devoid of uh, similar coverage in the future. But, you know, I'd like to think that it's not all doom and gloom. I believe we will be in a position to subscribe to live world cycling events, but under a, a different channel or a different platform. How can we go through several years of watching live cycling almost every event on the world tour calendar to watching nothing it's not going to happen i mean i i only uh subscribe actually this year for the first time because all my friends saying oh did you see this did you see that go no so then i have i discovered it i guess pretty late but so yeah it's surprising but surely the model's been been established now i mean Mm. it's it's been shown that you can create enormous audiences Mm. for for world-level cycling, you know. Yeah. We tried to get Dan Lloyd on uh, the domestic, so he uh, didn't want to come on because he felt he may say something wrong, but he did mm. tell me that uh, everything will be all right. Uh, management will make an announcement probably at the end of the year or early in the new year. But look, from what I can tell, it's been taken over GCN by uh, a bigger entity, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see it on Eurosport or, or, or another channel. Uh, so it's not all doom and gloom. That's the good news. Let's talk about the future of the Commonwealth Games. This week, the Gold Coast Council announced it wasn't in a position to organise and fund the Games, as was the case in 2018. So the question is, Tills, is it time for the Commonwealth Games to finish once and for all? Well, it, I think, I think, Mike, I, like I know he's probably standing on this, but I think think we've just got to keep in mind the impact it does have on some sports particularly sports like netball which is this this is their sort of olympics but i think also looking more globally no other sort of continent or region or mishmash of countries really necessarily has this i think there's the pan pacific games uh with americas but yeah i i think it is looking like this may be the demise of the commonwealth games and additionally i think it is sad for countries like scotland um who get to represent their flags and you know they're very proud countries during these period rather than joining um in with the you know united kingdom uh but i am seeing yes the demise of the commonwealth games and it's just not as relevant there's a lot of sports in that com games where it's a little bit i don't want to say a joke but it's really just a stepping stone like for australia when they're swimming the swimmers during the com games like please like 15 gold medals for one person but but tills the same can be said for cycling track cycling it's gold 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 for australia in it's, the com games, the yes. And on that, so I don't see it moving forward. I think it was a shocker for Victoria. It was a little bit of egg on face um, for the sporting nation, capital of the world, of, of Australia. But with the track cycling, there is currently discussion and there's a lot of people that are having to work with the IOC very hard at the moment that there is talk of track cycling being dropped for the Brisbane 2032 games. And where Brisbane is such a strong track cycling. But if you think about it, there's only a couple of nations that are good at it. 
There's only a couple of nations that do it and it is not getting the eyeballs and it takes so long. It's like a one to two week event um, within the yeah. games. And we're seeing so many sports develop. Esports are coming in. Um, we're seeing, you know, the, the break dancing and skateboarding and, and freestyle BMX. There's a lot of things that um, something's going to need to be dropped and yeah. it could be track cycling. You know, Tills, uh, there was a time. There was a time not so long ago when we knew the Anamirs, uh, we knew the Ryan oh, yeah. Baileys, uh, well, all those guys that were dominating the velodromes. But track cycling just seems to have faded away. Who are the superstars in 2023? I can't name them. Maybe I'm too distant from the sport, as as was the case when I was in broadcasting. But I just can't get. Despite the fact that track cycling is very entertaining. It's a thrill to be at the velodrome watching these superstars. Um, it's just not being covered by the media these days. It's it very was. hard to follow as well. Um, the, the races can be hard to follow. They can be a little bit complex in what's going on as well. And so it's all about fan engagement now. Um, and we know that if it's an Olympic sport, it grows the sport exponentially. But if it gets cut from the Olympics, it could die out. So, mm. yeah, it will be really interesting. Um, watch that space on where that goes to. Mm. But How can they cut track cycling and put in break dancing? Like, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a rapper, as you know. I'm a rapper <laughs> and I like break dancing. Uh, but a 50-year-old rapper. For fuck's sake, why, what, 40? Why is, that, why is that in the Olympics? Like, why is break dancing in the Olympics? Like, that's, that's where it's the kids bullshit. are. That's where the fans are. I, yeah, I heard I an interesting... Sorry, how did you go? Oh, I was just going to say, I heard an interesting story years ago when they were looking at, at, at upping the ante in some way in cycling. And that's when they were looking at BMX, right? And apparently they made a boo-boo because what they really wanted was the breakdance of, of cycling, which is freestyle, right? Mm, yeah. But apparently they brought in BMX racing instead and sort of it was a mistake and they really wanted the, the breakdancing of, yeah, of yeah, BMX, yeah. which was freestyle, right? Freestyle's finally in there now. Um, so I think it's clear. It's, it's quite sad, actually, but the writing sort of seems like Matilda said, to be on the wall a bit, you know. But I'd say, shouldn't those like, sports be in X Games? Shouldn't like break freestyle BMX are. or break dancing be in yeah, X yeah. Games? And that's that's for the kids or whatever. But like, mm. as you know, I love cycling, but I I've never liked track. I'm not interested. Boring, whatever. I just don't like it. But it should be still in the Olympics. Like these other sports, like uh, break dancing and uh, uh, freestyle, that should be in the X Games. I in think you've just said why it's not. You, you're a you're a, a nutso cyclist, right? Yeah. And you're not interested in track. Oh, that says it all. Like guys yeah, like you true. aren't yeah, interested but, in track. Yeah, but Hodgie, Hollywood's unique. He doesn't like gravel. He doesn't like cycling. <laughs> oh, that's for hippies. He doesn't <gasps> like track. Don't like gravel. He doesn't gravel. like anything. No, he it's like, for hippies, Steve. It's for hippies. It's just say, for these people Hodgie, who have given up on him. life and they roll <laughs> anyway. around on gravel. Look at me. I'm in the trees. It's. I don't care if I get dropped. <laughs> I, I no want to hear what Matilda's got to say now because she's going to add something good to this. The one thing I will say about the Olympics though that in terms of sports that should be dropped things that i struggle with at tennis surfing golf golf soccer the three of them they do oh, not yeah, care soccer. they do not mm. like yes no. it is um you know prestigious oh, i won a gold medal but in terms of where it's not even it's way bigger than even road cycling you know some people say mm. would you rather win the tour de france and the world champs than the gold medal potentially 
but it's not too big a gap. With surfing and golf and particularly tennis, come on. Like I mm. could not tell you who has won that, but I it's, could tell you who's won Wimbledon. It's, you know, it has a really no good prestige. Point. Yeah, that's a really good, good point. point. I mean, when I was um, part of the pro cycling cohort that rode the first Olympics in Atlanta, right, in 1996, they did that by simply doing away in the licensing with the distinction between amateur and pro, and they made us all elite. I can tell you we went straight, you know, to, to Atlanta and uh, rode in that, and it seemed a bit dinky. You know, like for pros and we were doing the tour and, the, you know, the World Pro Championships even was a whole nother level. I mean, thank God a pro won, but I mean, how is a pro not going to win? But it was Pascal Richard. It was, you know, it was one of the, the top pros, but not the really top pros. So, you know, it, even for pro cycling, it was, it's, it, it's a bit dinky, you know? No, you're right, Hachi. Everyone remembers who won the last Tour de France or even the Tour de France from 10, 20 years ago. But I really struggled to remember who won the mm. the gold medal in the road race at the Olympics in 1988 or 1992. So it's lucky that someone who's won two real world championships is going to the Tour Down Under, isn't it, Lee? <laughs> 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 uh, suck on that, Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Have that one. Yeah, he's got rainbow stripes. What do you got? Yellow and red. I've got, I've got Cipollini's uh, world champion jersey in there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hey, listen, before we go, we've got to wrap it up. Uh, I'm hearing... What about Tour of Bright? Um, I'm, the I'm biggest not race in the nation. A couple of things. I'm hearing the road nationals could be moved to the Gold Coast if from 2025. That's a hot rumour. Let's talk about the Tour of Bright quickly. So you didn't smash it, Hollywood? No, no. Look, I, I had the uh, Porsche Club ball on the Friday night. It finished after midnight. Had a lovely night there. Went home. Had four hours less than four hours sleep. Got boring. up. Got up, drove to Bright, which was nice, and uh, stayed with the Race Atlas guys. Fantastic. Thanks, Lewis Fulcher. It was Ineos Grenadier-style accommodation. It was really good. And then um, <laughs> first stage, we were in the neutral zone, and it was pissing rain. And I was just yelling in the bunt, what a shit sport. Why am I here? <laughs> oh, so you hate road cycling now. <laughs> yeah, no, but it was just pouring rain. I was like, what am I doing? And it's funny, this is a funny story, like I never go to the toilet when I ride, but for some reason, I went, as soon as I got there, before I got changed, and then at the start line, you'd think that'd be enough, and then during the race, I I needed to go so badly, I just couldn't hang on, and I had to pull over the side of the road by myself, five k's from the bottom of Tawonga, go to the toilet, and then I chased, got my second best 20-minute power for the year, and I couldn't get back on. <laughs> I got. I just touched. I just touched. I just got there as we oh rounded onto Tawonga, and then I was gone. Then the time trial the next later that day, that was fine. I was just waving to the fans and blowing kisses, and that was just given. You know the people who came out what they wanted, and then Buffalo on the last day was beautiful sunny weather, and I was with the front group for the first ten minutes up Buffalo, and then. My ability kicked in and I was out the back. But it was a good weekend. It was a really well-run event. Hats off to Alpine Cycling Club, Stuart Tripp and Cycling Victoria. It was a really, really well-run event. The marshals weren't militant like they were when I got disqualified those times years ago. It was <laughs> it was a fun vibe. I'd do it again for sure. I really, I actually really enjoyed it. I won best dressed, of course. But, um, yeah, that was uh, – it was fun. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed yeah. it. But I'm good still on. a hoax. You did Good on you, Hollywood. No, you're not. You're not a hoax. Uh, despite the banter and the, the crap that we pour on you, 
For a 50-year-old... 40. You go, no, you're 50. You go, okay. Hey, Hodgie, can I just say thank you so much for joining us. Keep fighting the good fight. You are doing great things uh, for cycling. Definitely. Uh, uh, in all in all aspects. So uh, just want to give you another big round of applause. Yeah, thank you. Advocacy is so you. important. That's why I love you guys, Amy's and Bicycle Network. I'm all about advocacy. That's why I joined, obviously, Bicycle Network well before Alison, I've just, I'm a bad advocacy. I, that's my number one thing, well, you know, getting more people riding and making it safer for the people who do. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. It's been a pleasure yeah, being honestly. on the domestic. And if thanks I can just to, say, Mike, yep. before we leave, um, if all our listeners, uh, I was just checking out this morning, the Black Sheep Cycling website is looking so oh, yes. tidy at the moment. It's looking so good. They've made a few changes. What's happened to it? I don't know, just looking real good. I know, I know Hannah and Lucy and the team there, uh, the mm. content team. Uh, yeah, it's looking, it's looking uh, really good. So yeah, jump I, on there, have a look. And uh, massive thanks to them. And of course, Honan Insurance for all their support. Yeah, they do an insurance enormous brokers. amount in advocacy Honan. themselves. So yeah, Absolutely. thank you to them, not just supporting us, but supporting cyclists everywhere. Tills, do us a favor, compare the website of Black Sheep to that of Honan Insurance Brokers. And, and if there's anything that you're not happy with, uh, we'll get it across to Lawrence. Hey, what? <laughs> we'll tell. What are you talking mind. about? Hey, are you I am, I Can we no just idea. also it's know Mike's long. microphone is not working? So, um, no wonder you got yeah, SBS would not, would not accept such standard. Um, but yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll take it this time. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. See ya. Fucking hell. The Domestics by Black Ships.